Hello and welcome to the Safe Food Podcast. I'm Dr. Aileen McGloin, Director of Marketing and Communications at Safe Food. And this is a special edition of the Nutrition Podcast series, where we're bringing you a recording from a symposium hosted by Safe Food at the 2019 Federation of European Nutrition Societies Conference in Dublin. The symposium asked, what advice does the public believe and outlined challenges for researchers, policymakers and practitioners. Each one of the four contributors is available to listen to individually. And there's also a separate podcast where all speakers are featured in full. This is RTE journalist Philip Boucher Hayes, who talks to the conference about the proliferation of Nutribabble and the need for professionals to go on air and counteract misinformation in language that anyone can understand. Hello, everybody. How are you? Um, I'm glad that Robert reminded me to make a declaration of conflicts of interest right at the very start, because I do have a conflict of interest in being here. I am a journalist. I have no discernible talent for doing anything else whatsoever. I have 20 years left on my mortgage, so unfortunately I'm going to have to stay being a journalist. And I'm here to give journalism a bit of a kicking today, or journalism and media. Because we in media do have to put our hands up to being primarily, frankly, responsible for the incredibly screwed up relationship that an awful lot of people have with food, the proliferation, I got it in one, uh, of Nutribabble, the amount, the enormous, the vast amount of fake food news that is out there. So I'm going to be brief now because I think the most instructive thing for all of you, hopefully, is going to be uh, throwing questions to us uh, uh, on the, the panel later on. But let me address two things here now. One is um, how, actually, sorry, who am I talking to here today? Hand, hands up the, the, the dietitians, the clinicians. Okay, about 20% of you. Hands up the academics and the researchers. Okay. A hands up those who are here from various companies plugging something or another. Okay. All right. Uh, and are there others? Am I leaving anybody out? Okay. I, let me just give you a little bit of my personal experience, um, uh, uh, which kind of sets the scene for how the media landscape works. Uh, about 12 years ago, I wrote a book with my wife, uh, on f primarily on food and farming, but because it was also... Uh, about supermarkets, we strayed into the area of nutrition and dietetics. And it wasn't very long before I realized that I had absolutely no qualifications for doing this whatsoever. But it was also not very long before I realized that that didn't matter because nobody else writing in this space had absolutely any qualifications to do so whatsoever. And it struck me from very early on that really the only responsible thing to do in this space, the only responsible advice that you should be offering on radio, in print, uh, or on television, is the rather boring message to, for most of you, just eat a little bit less, exercise a little bit more. But nobody ever sold books with this message or made interesting television programs uh, because media loves novelty. Uh, and that's something I'm going to return to in a moment. But when we were writing this book, uh, it was, I cannot tell you how easy it was to get a book deal. I thought that it was going to be problematic, but no, because this particular space is one that publishers had identified as being quite lucrative to them, they said, 
come on board, here you go, very generous advance deal here uh, for you. Um, and it doesn't really matter to us what you say at all, just so long as you make it interesting, controversial, and it gets a little bit of attention. I say, okay, what about being right? Oh yeah, that too, of course, of course. But it was obviously, it was very much second place because there was no fact-checking of uh, this book whatsoever. There was really barely any proofreading of it. It could have said absolutely anything and gone out into this space. And it only sold 6,000 copies. It didn't do that well precisely because it didn't say anything particularly novel in this area. And we were in a space where you're competing with Rosanna Davison, um, for those of you not from Ireland, she's a former Miss World who has uh, a qualification, inverted commas, as a naturopath uh, and has cured her husband's rheumatoid arthritis with a diet that uh, I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> but the point is, this is what you're competing with uh, and I don't have an awful lot of Rosanna Davison's assets from going on television. So from that, we went into the TV um, programme making space uh, with the same message, trying to basically say, look, folks, we're not going to do what's good food, what's bad food. We're just going to tell you what is in your food, how to interrogate your food, and how for you to make decisions, hopefully with the assistance or the advice of a dietitian. Uh, on uh, what it is that will be the best thing for you to eat. And it was really quite shocking to me that when the producers of the programme were drawing up various contributors, uh, they came to me with the name of the person that they wanted to use as the kind of nutritional advisor to the programme. And I got a bad whiff of this person straight away. They did not strike me as the kind of person who knew their onions at all. And I was right. And I, uh, I thought I was putting my foot down, but I didn't get anywhere. The executive producer didn't care. The commissioning editor didn't care. The other producers didn't care. This person was a good media person. They were a good communicator. So I went off and I did more research and I found the number of instances that they had appeared on various television couches um, with confused dietetic uh, messages uh, and ultimately pushing uh, some kind of a supplement uh, product. Still, it didn't matter. People thought that I was just being fussy uh, about this. Um, uh, and it wasn't until ultimately I kind of threatened to throw all of the toys out of the pram and say, no, this project is just not going ahead. I'm stepping back from it. Um, and taking the name of the product with me, uh, that people sort of said, oh, OK, all right, we'll give in to them. So my apologies to all of the dietitians in the room saying this to you now, because Louise Reynolds and INDI have done some great work raising the profile of what it is that you do and the advisability of consulting a dietitian before making important decisions about what you eat. But that message hasn't penetrated into the media world. Let me tell you how simple it is, and hopefully there aren't any rogues in the room who are going to take advantage of this advice and go and try and promote a caper-based diet. Um, but if you wanted to, for argument's sake, promote a caper-based diet and suggest that it would cure your rheumatoid arthritis, it is really as simple 
as coming up with a press release that says as much on the top, offers the hard-pressed researcher uh, five or six suggested questions and what the anticipated replies to those questions would be from you or from your gorgeous bikini-clad model whose rheumatoid arthritis was cured by capers. And that is really all that it takes. It's not much more complicated than that. I know that that's distressing and hard to believe, but it's the case because if you think about what a TV or a radio production team is, it's never more than four or five people. They will invariably on the same day be doing an item on Brexit because, well, every programme has to have an item on Brexit at the moment, doesn't it? Uh, there'll be somebody on uh, talking about their Munchausen's by proxy uh, and there'll be somebody else on to talk about gardening. And researchers and producers like me uh, are generalists. We are not specialists. There are very few of us who have uh, a science background. There's very few of us who even, as Robert was pointing out earlier on, know how to interrogate the research at all. Uh, and this is why an awful lot of rubbish manages to find its way onto the sofas uh, of the TV programmes or into the pages of the, the, the features pages of magazines and newspapers because there is very little due diligence, there is very little interrogation. It's ironic that the advertisements uh, on television, radio and in print are far more finely and closely and rigorously regulated than any of the programmes on either side of them. Uh, there, it's really down to the discretion of the producers and the knowledge of the presenters as to how much interrogation of the dietary claims that are being made by a guest are going to receive. And very often... I heard a presenter not that long ago saying how she uh, never put sugar on any of her food, only ever used honey because that was natural and that was all right. And you think, oh, God. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. We really do have a long way to go. So if that is the problem, how do we go about solving the problem? Or how do the people in this room go about solving the problem? I know what media has to do to uh, clean up its house and its act. Uh, but let's leave that aside for the moment. What can you, uh, as professionals in this space, do? I think the first thing that you have to do, and there are many dietitians actually who are quite good at this, and a good number of researchers as well, you have to occupy the same space that the charlatans and the fraudsters are occupying. You have to get over your tall poppy syndrome anxieties and go out and say, here's my research, here's what I've been doing, here's why that's bollocks. I'm going to tell you why that's bollocks in no uncertain terms. Use the same language as those in social media are using as well. Don't talk, uh, unfortunately, sorry, like a researcher, like an academic. Lose all of your caveats and your qualifications. Media when you enter this space, when you become a professional communicator, uh, as you all need to, I believe, you have to distill and you have to distill some more and then you have to take your message and you have to distill again. I'm making a documentary on climate crisis at the moment. One section of it, forestry, 
my first pass at it, I wrote a seven-page closely typed document on all of the various issues. I whittled that down on the second pass to two and a half pages, and so on and so on, until you ended up with a two and a half minute segment in a program which had no more than 350 words from me in terms of voiceover. You distill and distill and distill and you finally hone your message until it is readily and easily comprehensible by lay people because you're not entering this space to talk to other academics and your peers, you're entering this space to combat the kind of nonsense that is out there. Um, to that end, one of the things that I have uh, really uh, admired and appreciated uh, is the, uh, the universities, the academic institutions that make uh, a job of work of saying we are going to communicate what our research is. I had a conversation not that long ago with an academic uh, who I was giving out to and saying, what is the point in all of your research if you don't tell anybody uh, in the, the outside world about it? It is frankly the metaphorical tree falling in the figurative Chinese forest, unnoticed and unobserved by the outside world. And his attitude was, well, it's ridiculous. Are you telling me that I have to do the work and then I have to tell people about the work? Yes, you do have to tell people about what it is that you're doing. One of my favourite innovations in this area in recent years has been the conversation which has opened me up to all sorts of different areas of research that I would never have come across in the ordinary course of events and certainly not reading in any of our newspapers where, um, uh, where science communication is not necessarily the best. So the other thing that you have to do, and move on, shut up now, um, the other thing that you have to do, and this is perhaps the most important, is when the radio programme makes that phone call or the TV programme says, will you come on, you have to answer the call. All too often, we're bashing the phones again and again and again to find that one person who is prepared to come out and say their piece. On the occasion that I uh, finally managed to get rid of the charlatan nutritional advisor from that program and then go and find the person, somebody that I wanted to get, I had to make 17 bloody phone calls to get somebody who finally said, yeah, okay, I'll put my hand up and I'll do that. And that's not good enough anymore. If you are going to join us in the trenches and we need reinforcements really badly, in combating fake news and food in the food space and nutribabble, you have to please answer that call when it comes. Thanks very much. That was RTE journalist Philip Boucher Hayes speaking at a FENS symposium at the Convention Centre in Dublin. You are listening to a Safe Food podcast. If you would like any further information on aspects of this podcast or any other part of Safe Food's work, do get in touch with us. Search Safe Food or look us up on social media. You'll know us by our purple tick. You can link in with our Food Poverty Network and All Island Obesity Action Forum or keep up with our latest research reports on LinkedIn. And remember to follow the Safe Food podcasts on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Until the next time, goodbye. Goodbye.